0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. It's Richard Lummis, and I'm here again with Tom Fox for another discussion on improving our leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. We're recording this podcast in September, so the Halloween decorations have only been in the stores for a month or two now. But today we're going to be discussing leadership lessons from Dracula. All of us probably know Dracula best from the movies, especially the 1931 Bela Lugosi feature. And although vampires and vampire-like creatures had featured in folklore for centuries, the modern version of the story is essentially codified by Bram Stoker in his, in his 1897 novel. I haven't reread it in several years, but I remember being surprised by the complexity of the plot. Of course, the movie had to simplify it a bit, but I'm still sorry they lost the Texan character of Quincy. I've never seen him in any of the movies.
0: Actually, he was in the Gary
1: Oldham version. Was he? Yes. sir. Yeah. The influence in popular culture has been enormous, and I'm sure we all have our favorite representations. My personal one is Shadow of the Vampire with John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe, but we're going to limit our discussion today to the original and, I guess, finest exemplar. Tom, what do we want to learn from the undead that is going to serve us in our day-to-day life?
0: Well, Richard, uh, actually, I want to first of all, uh, every October I okay. highlight um, classic monster movies in my pod. Excuse me, my blog. So I want to do a podcast around uh, lessons that we might learn from uh, Dracula. Uh, I want to break it down to a couple of different parts. One is uh, leadership lessons around branding and then uh, more uh, traditional leadership lessons and uh, you 're absolutely right about the differences in the book and the movie uh, i 'm going to focus more on the movie the The book was mo- more as you are absolutely correct, much more complex with more characters and i 'll use some of those uh, thoughts for uh, some le- leadership tips. Well, on the branding tips, I found uh, some really interesting uh, thoughts around it. Uh, the first one is positioning Dracula. So you may wonder about why you would need to position a vampire, but actually that's because you're not understanding your competition. Your competition are the classic movie monsters. Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, Mummy, and if you want to go into the 50s, the Creature from the Black Lagoon are generally viewed as the classic uh, universal monsters. So how do you position uh, Dracula vis-a-vis those? What makes him unique? Um, first of all, uh, the biggest differentiation is is alter ego. Now the Wolfman did have an alter ego as well but uh, Dracula can change or morph into a bat on demand. Um, the Wolfman unfortunately has to wait for a, a monthly cycle to do so and it's really not at something he wants to do. So, uh, Dracula is different. He's not an alien. He's not a zombie. He has a clear, consistent position uh, to our minds. Uh, the second is the, uh, defining the Dracula brand. So, what does the Dracula brand stand for? Obviously, he mixes well in high society. <clears throat> in the book and in every movie, uh, certainly in the movie with Van Helsing, uh, very refined personality, uh, lives in an abbey in England, uh, lived in a estate and castle in Transylvania, um, so there's clearly a, a, a aristocratic bend to it, but he's also shrouded in intrigue. Um, the One of the best signs of a vampire is that their sh- uh, reflection does not show up in a mirror. Their image does not cast a reflection. That's certainly intriguing. But when you throw in wolfsbane, garlic, uh, the effect of a uh, cross uh, in front of the... Um, Uh, vampire, which is how Van Helsing protects himself from Count Dracula, it certainly uh, works. Uh, Three is uh, developing Dracula's identity, or what's your brand identity? So you're absolutely right. Uh, For me, Bela Lugosi was Dracula, and Dracula was Bela Lugosi, Um, although you, you named one of many actors who played him and played him quite well. But he's Bela Lugosi that's just (laughs) the way it is sorry Uh, sorry Christopher Lee and Frank Lemongelo you're always going to hear that voice and you're always going to hear that voice and I want to drink your blood but that's um, that's exactly what it is it's that tagline it's it's that name it's that logo and for me the the two signature images are the cape and the teeth And you can put on a pair of fake wax teeth uh, at Halloween or literally any other part of the year, and everyone knows uh, who you're referring to and what you're talking about. So even though uh, I named the two, there's obviously more to Dracula's brand. It's uh, his widow's peak hairdo, his Eastern European accent, his hypnotic eyes, the way he uses his Fingers and hands, obviously his nocturnal feeding habits where he sleeps during the day. All of those things are Dracula's identity and they're things that we recognize as part of him. And finally, and here's the intriguing one, Uh, going public. (laughs) How did Dracula go public? When was his debut as one might say here in the South? Well, uh, it was not in Transylvania. Uh, In fact, uh, but it's his launch started in Transylvania Castle, where he enlisted uh, uh, the uh, in the movie <coughs> the uh, lawyer, the solicitor Renfield. In the book, it was Jonathan Harker, and um, th- but his debut was really in England. When he got to England in uh, Carfax Abbey, in the movie he had a series of uh, castles. In the book. So uh, the grand entrance into London society, i.e. to his target audience or target market, was in London. So it's sort of a coming out party. So from these, I would uh, draw some leadership lessons. Uh, Well, I guess maybe, uh, did you have any comments on uh, those branding ideas? Uh,
1: I thought they were great. And really, if you look at it, he's more reviving a tired brand. In Transylvania, he's had centuries. He's had a good run. But his market has changed. He's <laughs> aged, <laughs> so now he's relaunching himself into the new cosmopolitan London of the turn of the century.
0: The yeah, it's a great 20th point. Century, so it's not a launching; it's a relaunching, yeah. a rebranding effort. So, uh, actually, great points. But there are some uh, some leadership lessons that I'd like to uh, to really then transition to. <clears throat> the first is, um, and this really ties into your point, which is position your business and stand apart. Uh, perhaps he was standing apart in Transylvania perhaps there were a, a, a competitive marketplace uh, or uh, perhaps uh, there were other uh, the market was less favorable to him yeah. in Transylvania and in uh, London it was a, a much more target rich environment uh, as uh, they would say in Top Gun um, So position your business and stand apart, and positioning is the way your business image creates your identity in the mind of your core market and gives them a reason to choose your offerings. Second, specialize in focus. Um, Dracula specialized. He specialized in drinking blood. He specialized in creating undead. But in the business world, this allows you to differentiate your business and (coughs) offers Uh, your presumed expertise and perceived value to the marketplace. So for the women, uh, Dracula uh, was very charming and very attractive to women, and that was how, in large part, he was able to uh, obtain new victims. Um, Your business identity next is made up of outer layers, and these are attributes that... uh, uh, customers see and experience uh, from your product. Make sure your offerings are unique. And once again, if you think of the competitors Dracula had, whether those competitors be um, other Undead Souls in Transylvania or, as I, uh, I would suggest, the Mon- uh, Universal Classic Monsters, he really differentiates uh, uh, that uh, for many of the uh, uh, items we discussed, the cape, the teeth, uh, the air air of aristocracy, the mystery, all of those things are layers which lead to uh, your company's identity. And finally, um, engage your staff and stakeholders and and, uh, embrace (laughs) (laughs) embrace what you stand for. And he certainly embraced that going forward. Um, so, uh, some interesting lessons. I've got a few more from the book, but uh, do
1: you have any thoughts on those? Yeah. the uh, One of the things that I think he's highly underrated on is his planning skill. Uh, you look at his plan to go to London. He, he'd spent years researching this. He picked London as the largest metropolis where he could more easily be anonymous and, and find more blood-rich targets. Uh, But he also, he hired a lawyer, he hired real estate agents, he searched where the most favorable spot would be for his home base. In addition, he shipped 50 cartons of earth uh, just in case one of them was discovered um, so that he would always have a place to rest. He hired staff in the form of gypsies to protect him during the daylight hours when he was vulnerable. Um, I think his detailed plan for his rebranding uh, was, was really quite impressive. Uh,
0: something we've really not explored too much on this podcast series is supply chain. But he had a right-in-time supply chain, uh, literally by taking 50 um, coffins worth of uh, Transylvanian soil with him. In the book, uh, it was clear that he had intended to and it did, in fact, buy multiple um, properties in London, and uh, his thought being that uh, he could reside in those, and if he lost some of the soil, he could use. Um, he had backup plan. Uh, what we have learned uh, recently from the, um, I think, hurricane experience in Texas is, if you have right in time supply chain, you really don't have a long chain uh, that you can rely on if you can't be supplied rightly. So, you need to consider other risks that you may have to manage. But he was certainly prepared for um, uh, the supply he would need of his home soil to sleep in each night. And then also uh, Renfield. You mentioned having the lawyer, but uh, the key, probably my favorite scene in the movie, was when the ship uh, runs aground in England and the uh, um, authorities come on board and they see Renfield. And I really can't do justice to what he looks like or sounds like, but Renfield is there really to um, confuse them so that Dracula can get away. Uh, and in the book, it makes clear that a large animal is seen running down the shore, and it sees changes not into a bat but a wolf. So uh, even utilizing Renfield uh, to distract the authorities at that point. Maybe uh, any any other thoughts?
1: Well, I think we need to discuss the way he addresses both his strengths and his weaknesses Um, and in this case it's not really as a brand but uh, his inability to move around by daylight it's just he identifies both his strengths and his weaknesses and he he plans to accentuate his strengths and minimize his weaknesses
0: so the um I'd now like to turn to the book because I found some interesting um, lessons in the book. And in the book, there's a triumvirate of people who uh, finally are able to uh, succeed in destroying uh, Dracula. And there are really three points, which is the uh, communication, number one that senior leadership needs to be able to communicate. Um, And in the novel, it makes clear that it's not until late in the novel that everyone finally understands what they're up against. Uh, Had everyone been informed uh, in uh, earnest early on, it probably would have been a less of an enjoyable novel, but uh, uh, more of a uh, propitious time to save Lucy and prevent Mina from being bitten. Uh, the second thing was the um, three uh, people who got together. We mentioned uh, Jonathan Harker, um, who was the lawyer. We also had uh, the Texan Quincy. And then Arthur Holmwood, uh, who was actually the Van Helsing character in the movie. Um, these uh, three got together and made uh, made plans to destroy uh, the vampire. And then uh, the final point, which uh, you... You would seem would be as intuitive as a point could be when you're reading about um, watching classic monsters or uh, reading fantastic literature, um, which is to be open-minded. And, uh, yes, uh, it is fantastic to think that there are vampires, but maybe the message is just have an open mind. And certainly in the fictional world, uh, you would have to have an open mind, and the reader uh, needs to have an open mind, whether that's suspended belief or just having suspended disbelief, I should say, or having an open mind. But nevertheless, as a leader, it pays to keep an open mind. And uh, this in the novel was shown uh, quite clearly because even though there was communications, uh, the... the, um, the triumvirate was not open-minded enough early enough and they lost Lucy, uh, to the vampire. So, um, these were, I thought some pretty good leadership lessons. Uh, it is, uh, this will post in October. So it'd be a happy Halloween month. And it was, uh, really interesting. Um, the branding lessons that, uh, you can learn, uh, here, you and I in 2017 are still talking about a movie from 1931 and a character from 1931. And, and, uh, when I see that picture of Dracula in my mind, it's still Bela Lugosi. And when I hear that voice, it's still Bela Lugosi. And probably uh, there's not much. There are some iconic brands, obviously, but there's not much more than an iconic brand.
1: I agree. Well, if you haven't seen it in a while, it's probably time to go revisit the, the movie, um, or at least your favorite version of it. And uh, I think I'll, I'll have to go back and reread the book now. Thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure. And until next time, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox with 12 O'Clock High.
0: This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening.